Welcome to God is Open. I am your host, Christopher Fisher. Today on God is Open, we are going to be going over, let's add it to this stream, what is the best passage to disprove open theism by Jonathan Singleton, ex-open theist. So it's a very interesting individual. We're not sure what went on there. Uh, last time I talked about him, I said, I, I hope, I hope it is a girl that he's doing this for. Otherwise, it's just it's not worth it. It's not worth the intellectual shame to, to be doing that. And so we will be talking about what he thinks is the best passage to disprove open theism. And so we'll, we'll let him start and then we'll give a little bit of commentary. Hey, everybody. I hope that you're doing well and I hope you're blessed in Jesus' name if you're following the truth. In this video, I'm going to give you the easiest way to refute open theism. I know a lot of arguments have already been made on this channel, and I just want to make it as easy as possible. If you're in a type of street fight situation with an open theist, and you just want to refute them very quickly and give them something they can't answer, then this is the best place to go to Deuteronomy 31, 15 through 18. But of course, we start one chapter earlier. It's easy to He's going to give them something that they can't answer. Okay, so let's actually just kind of build a picture of open theism. And let's uh, try to go stop screen and then we'll share the Bible. Because uh, the Bible's kind of what we care about when we're, we're actually talking about stuff. So let's see, I'll share over here and pull up the Bible. And then we'll learn from God how God operates. And this is just open theism, open theism 101. And then we'll see if he could refute how God operates in open theism. We're turning to Jeremiah 18. Let's uh, try to get that bigger. There we go. Jeremiah 18. And this is the famous episode of the potter and the clay. Uh, God brings Jeremiah down to the potter's house. He sees the potter making a vessel. There's something wrong with the clay. And so he remakes it into a new vessel. And this is what God says. This is a standard operating operating procedure. O house of Israel, can I not do with you as the potter has done, declares the Lord? Behold, like clay in the potter's hand, so you are in my hand, house of Israel. If at any time I declare concerning a nation or kingdom that I will pluck it up and break it down and destroy it, if that nation concerning which I have spoken turns from its evil, I will relent of the disaster I intended to do to it. And so uh, this is the ESV uh, they do a little translation trick. These are actually different words. You could switch to this King James, and you could see that this is the evil that I thought to do to it, right? God thinks he's going to do some evil to an evil nation, and then that nation repents, and God changes from what he intended and thought he was going to do. God changes his intentions. And then we, we keep reading. We, we find out further that this goes in the opposite direction as well. At what point, at what instance, I speak concerning a nation and concerning a kingdom to build it up, to plan it. If it do evil in my sight that obey not my voice, then I'll repent of the good wherewith I said I would benefit them. So I kind of switched to the King James translation since we went over to the strongest numbers. To, so, to show that there are two different words, he, God will not do what he thought he was going to do. God will not do what he said he was going to do. Sometimes God has failed expectations about the future. God thinks one thing is going to happen, situations change, and then God changes as well. So let's let's go back to our Jonathan Singleton, and uh, this will be interesting. So it, can he show that open theist quake with some sort of verse he found somewhere in, drumroll please, Deuteronomy. 
Okay, so what is the best passage to disprove open theism? John Singleton, tell us. Remember, because it's also verses 15 through 18 in chapter 30. So we go to what Moses is saying here that he's commanding the Israelites to love God and to keep his commandments and statutes by not going after false gods. And of course, from Moses's perspective, not being God, not being perfect in knowledge, not having all knowledge of future events. He's speaking from the perspective of a human being, saying, you need to not worship other gods, you need to stay pure, and you need to obey God truthfully. But we have- This is a weird thing that these people do. They say, oh, some of these passages are from the perspective of a human being, but I know better than Moses. My name is John Singleton, and I know better than Moses what God's really like. And so uh, he's just- He's just phrasing it a different way for the, you know, the simpletons of his time. But I, Jonathan Singleton, will condemn those bad open theists for, for actually believing the things Moses has said. It's really weird. You have to understand that despite this articulation, of course, God knows the future exhaustively, unlike Moses. So we go to Deuteronomy 31, and I want to read this whole thing because it's very important. Okay, so he started the framing by turning to a passage in which Moses says, uh, choose you, choose life, choose death. God's waiting on you. God is going to see what, what you're going to choose. So throughout Deuteronomy, it's actually pretty funny. Actually, I was reading Numbers today, and it's pretty pronounced in Numbers as well. It's like, how, how long are these guys going to do this, Moses? I'm just going to kill them and restart with you. Not only in Exodus 32 does this happen, but elsewhere in the Bible. I think it's the early chapters of Numbers. I'm just going to kill them all and start with you. How long are they going to do this to me? And he's frustrated. Uh, there, there's a time where some people rose up and they're like, hey, we're prophets too. And God comes out and says, no, no, you guys aren't. Me and Moses, we're buddies. We talk. He sees my form. He's my real guy, not you guys. He, he, God gets frustrated throughout these chapters. Frustration is not a classical attribute of God. And the Lord appeared in the tent in a pillar of cloud, and the pillar of cloud stood at the entrance of the tent. The Lord said to Moses, Behold, you are about to lie down with your fathers, and this people will arise and play the prostitute with the foreign gods of the land in the midst of which they are going, and they will abandon me and break my covenant, which I have made with them. Then my anger will be kindled against them on that day, and I will abandon them and hide my face from them, and they will be consumed, and many evils and troubles will find them. So they will say on that day, is it not because our God is not among us that these evils have found us? But I will assuredly hide my face on that day because of all the evil that they will have done. For so, okay, I, I'll, I'll, let him, I'll let him finish it out here. They will have turned away to other gods. Well, oh, okay, so the argument seems to be God said something about the future in some capacity, therefore eternal ungenerated, unfalsifiable, innate, uh, exhaustive, unfalsifiable knowledge of all things into eternity. It, it, okay, we could try that. We'll try that right now. I'll say something about the future right now. And then uh, Jonathan Think Singleton, he's going to think that I have omniscience. This is going to be really fun. Mm -mm -mm. I know that my baby is going to go to my back door and he's going to open it, and he's just going to stand there with the door open. And I'll say, get in or get out. Uh, go outside. 
and shut the door or come in and my anger or frustration will be very evident. Wow, I just said something about free human choices in the future. I must be omniscient. We could keep going. Uh, Trump will try to run again for political office and it will not learn from his prior mistakes and he will surround himself with neocons, which will be his undoing. Oh no, there, there we said it again. Uh, things about the future. Me, I said, I said things, unspecified things in an unspecified capacity. There are some specifics, but it's pretty general and not time delineated. That means I know the future exhaustively. This is the standard of his evidence. This is what he, in his mind, God says something pretty general about what's going to happen in the future. And Jonathan Singleton's like, oh, man. God must know, like, every single cricket jump in the future. <laughs> there's there's no other way. There's no other way he could say something unspecified about the future. And Jonathan Singleton didn't even actually show where this actually came true, this untimed, delineated, uh, uns inspecific about uh, uh, the particular actors who's going to do it. God's just like, yeah, I know in the future these people are going to desert me. And remember, God has a steep learning curve in Genesis when it comes to man. God learns after the flood the, the characteristics of man, that man is evil from his youth. And guess what? God thought that Abraham would be able to circumvent this. Back in Genesis 18, he says, I know Abraham's going to teach his children uh, to follow me. It's all going to be good. And then the entire Bible is them rebelling and rejecting God. God's learning curve with humans is very steep. It sounds to me like God is actually learning. God's saying, hey, these guys, they are going to desert me. But let's hear Jonathan Singleton. Well, it's kind of strange if open theism was true, that God knows exactly what these Israelites are going to do with their future free will decisions in the future, and even what they're going to say. Oh, no, I knew things about what future free will actors are going to do with their, their freedom. I must be omniscient. Wow, what a brilliant gold star, John Singleton. You are... This is why I say he must be doing this for a girl because it's not worth the intellectual bankruptcy if, unless you're doing this for a lady. Jonathan Singleton, are you going to be John, John, Jonathan Maryton soon? Huh? There better be a lady involved or it's not worth it, bro. It's not worth this level of uh, mental depravity, uh, decay, uh, decline. What? Who are you appealing to with this argument? Who is going to look at this and read this verse and say, oh, God said something generally about what's going to happen. Oh, therefore, uh, innate, ungenerated, unfalsifiable, eternal, uh, non-discursive. God doesn't think about things anymore because I got this weird passage in Deuteronomy. What? Say, after God reacts and hides his face from them, there's a lot of future exhaustive knowledge right here, and there's really no way that God could know this unless he knows what's going to happen in the future. There, there's no way God can know this unless he knows what's going to happen in the future. There's no way I can know my future free actions of my baby unless I know exhaustively what's going to happen in the future. There's no way I could know what's going to happen with American moral decline unless uh, I have exhaustive knowledge of the future. These The standards that these people bring to the Bible would be ludicrous in any other situation. If you're just talking to a normal person about a normal people and what they say about the future, 
none of these people would say, oh, this person must be like a Nostradamus and must be able to predict things precisely. Uh, who, who is it? Or Aaron, our, uh, his, he's on Twitter, but he always predicts the things that are going to happen in American politics, how, how news outlets are going to react to certain events as they happen and, and their narrative and talking points. And he, he says, guys, it's, it's not like I'm a genius. This, this is just their standard operating procedure. I just know how they act and function. And so if, if you're just dealing with normal people in a normal circumstance and they're saying things on this caliber, no one's going to jump to exhaustive divine knowledge of all future events. It's absolutely absurd. We, we jump to absurdity levels when dealing with theology. Once you put God involved with it, you have to become ludicrous. And remember, God's own standard is different. We already talked about that in Jeremiah, that God has failed expectations about the future. Remember, God's learning curve is steep. And we'll, we'll turn to a passage in Exodus in which, which really illustrates how Moses is a little bit more of a realist than God is at some times. Sometimes God, Moses understands the people better than God. Open theists like to argue that God didn't know if Adam and Eve were going to fall, and he didn't know that he was going to have to flood the world in Genesis 6. However, we clearly see here that God does know all of these other decisions because this one falls under the same category of a future free will uncoerced decision. So in summary, God lets Moses know that the Israelites are going to betray him and go after foreign gods. It's a 100% chance it will occur. There's no... That, that's what it says. It says 100% certainty, uh, non-falsifiable. No, the Bible actually says that these things are falsifiable, that God will change his mind, not do what he thought he was going to do if the people repent. And this is, this is actually Jeremiah 18. God's pronouncing against the people in this passage. And he says, if that people changes, then I will repent of what I thought I was going to do. Open theism says this, this isn't 100% certainty. He wants it to be an open 100% certainty because that's the only way he get his, get his theology to work. Remember, in a normal conversation with a normal person, if they're predicting things very much equivalent to what's going on here, zero people are going to just attribute to the other person exhaustive divine foreknowledge of all things. It's, it's a very general claim about general things that are easily to predict in the future. It's, it, it's absurd. You know, other possibility, there is no type of warning like, oh, so you better repent because I know at this point in time, this is what you would do. No, it's. Yeah, so <laughs> it is so funny. Um, well, what in the cycle of uh, repentance, what we find within the, in the judges, the cycle of apostasy, the people continually turn against God. And God says, I'm no longer I'm, am I going to listen to your cries and your prayers. I'm just going to I'm just going to ignore all of that. And then guess what? The people, they, they suffer again, they cry out again, and God instantly changes his mind and gives in to their prayers, even after he said he wouldn't, because God reacts to circumstances. When people change, when circumstances change, God God's doesn't, he doesn't take his word as something that needs to be fatalistically true, that he must force to happen uh, without all costs. I had my kids watch the Jonah story. On the greatest adventures uh, hannah barbera miniseries i had them watch that today and that that story is all about god changing in relation to people god saw that Nineveh repented and god did not do what he said he would do god's not a slave to his word god changes when circumstances change he has to deny that in order to have this as a proof text he has to say this 
must happen with 100% certainty. He's not getting that from the verse. He's not getting that from the context. He's, he's not getting that from how God describes his own operations, that God's going to change when circumstances change. He's not doing any of that. And he's not even taking into consideration the times that God's predictions and expectations have failed which is often in the Bible. It's a clear statement that this is what's going to happen. And that's exactly what happened. So just remember, if you ever encounter an open theist, Deuteronomy 30, 15 through 18, and Deuteronomy 31, 15 through 18. God bless you all. Hope you're doing well. And hope that you stay blessed in Jesus Christ's mighty name. Have a great day. All right. So that that was his case. Again, his, his case is ludicrous. Um, zero people would be convinced of that in the real world. If anyone else was claiming omniscience, it, it, wouldn't, it wouldn't be any sort of proof of the, of the type. And so we're going to go back to the Bible, and we're going to take a look at uh, an often missed instance in which God has a little bit of naivety about man, and uh, that is corrected by Moses. Let's, let's turn to Exodus 4 and see what's going on there. In Exodus 4, um, we'll, we'll turn back to three. It starts in three, but God is talking to Moses and Moses really doesn't want to be God's spokesman. He, he, does, he gives them all sorts of excuses. He's like, Oh God, who do I tell them that, that I'm, I'm coming on behalf of, you know, and he's like, Oh man, what if these people don't believe me? It's like, Oh man, God, I, I can't even talk very well. He keeps throwing up excuses. God keeps giving answers and, and try to argue with them. And uh, finally, it's funny that he tells Moses that Moses is going to do all these things. Then he changes his mind instantly and says, Aaron's going to do all these things. And that's not even the thing I'm here to talk about. But that is another change in which God said one thing's going to happen. And then a different thing happens. Moses was supposed to do all this. Moses doesn't. But guess what? God thinks that the people of Israel who have been crying out to him and praying to God that they're going to instantly fall in line with Moses once Moses shows up and shows them these signs. Moses is not too, uh, he doesn't think this is actually going to work. And so we, we get to Exodus 3.18 and God says this, They will listen to your voice and you and the elders of Israel shall go to the king of Egypt and say to him, Lord God of the Hebrews has met with us and now please let us go three days journey into the wilderness that, may, they may, that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God. Doesn't happen. Israel rejects Moses. Moses is fighting the people throughout this whole this whole instance. They fight them up through the Dead Sea and then even into later chapters of Exodus. They, they're not believing. They don't fall in line. They don't send the elders with Moses to meet with Pharaoh. It just doesn't happen. And Moses, he's more of a realist. And so we get to uh, chapter 4. He says, hey, God, I'm going to go to these Israelites uh, not even Pharaoh. I'm going to go to the Israelites and they're not going to believe me. He says, they will not believe me or listen to my voice. And they'll say, the Lord did not appear to you. These people are going to just reject me. The Israelites, not Pharaoh, Israel is. And God gives them the signs in order to convince Israel. And what God does is he creates a cascading contingency plan. That means uh, it's like a nested if then else loop. Oh, one, one example I gave my kids if the cat is in the living room, then I'll pick up the cat. Else, I'll look in the kitchen. And if the kit, if the cat is in the kitchen, then I'll pick up the cat there. Else, if the cat is in the bathroom where the the food is, then I will pick up the cat. So it's a nest, nested if then else that these conditions 
only pop up if certain conditions of flag true or false. And so God does that as well. He says, hey, I'm going to give you all these signs and you're going to do these signs. And if this one doesn't work, then we'll try this one. And then if this one doesn't work, then we'll try this next one. And there's at least three signs that he gives to Moses. He says, uh, what's that in your hand? He says, a staff. He's throw it on the ground, turns into a snake. He, he pulls it up. He says, and uh, that they may believe that the Lord, the God of their fathers, God of Abraham, God of Isaac, and God of Jacob has appeared to you. He gave them this sign. Uh, it, it says, uh, and then again, he says, put your hand inside your cloak. And he turn, turns his hand white and leprous. And God said, put your hand back inside your cloak. So he put it back and brings out, if they will not believe you, God said, or listen to the first sign, they may believe the later sign. If they will not believe even these two signs or listen to your voice, you shall take some water from the Nile and pour it on the ground. So this isn't, this isn't turning the entire Nile to blood. This is just a demonstration of what's going to come next. This is a third sign so that they're going to believe. They never do believe. They never do fall in line. They're never enthusiastic. God, God has failed expectations. The elders, they're not on board with Moses's plan. Moses has to go it alone with Aaron, which, which Moses was very afraid of. And his, his fears materialized. And so, yeah, God, God has a steep learning curve when it comes to humans in certain circumstances. And it could be the Deuteronomy passage. He's becoming more of a realist. This is, these are the things they're going to do. I hope they don't do it. But yeah, they're, they're going to do it. But if they change, Jeremiah 18 kicks in and then I will change. God has failed expectations about humanity throughout the Bible. So God saying something's going to happen doesn't automatically mean it's going to happen, as Jonathan Singleton will have us believe. God said the elders are going to go with you to Pharaoh. Never happened. God said that uh, Moses would be doing all this stuff. Didn't happen. Aaron was doing all this stuff. God said that he expected Israel to return in, in uh, what is it, Ezekiel, uh, but they didn't. And uh, he had failed expectations there. In in the parable of the vineyard, he says, what more could I have done? I expected good grapes, but got bad grapes. Sometimes God's expectations fail about human beings. And so Jonathan Singleton takes a very realistic passage where God is predicting, predicting future actions, and then takes it as if it's 100% certainty, fatalism, exhaustive foreknowledge of all future events. Again, that's absolutely absurd. No, no normal person in conversation with another person would ascribe omniscience if similar circumstances presented. If I'm talking about the end of the Ukraine war, uh, Russia is going to just keep advancing and the U.S. isn't going to get involved uh, and Russia is just going to take the whole of Ukraine. And then it occurs. Guess what? It's, it's not that I'm omniscient of all the future. It's just you, you can say things about the future and not be omniscient. This is this is just like uh, human interaction 101. People can talk about the future. It doesn't mean things are, are faded. And so Jonathan Singleton, I think he's lost his mind. I, I don't know. Um, but again, we're hoping it's a lady. And, you know, this happened to me before. Uh, that I, There was a girl that was very much interested in me. And I started conversing with her on MSN Messenger back in the day. And then she finds out I'm an open theist and she just goes crazy and uh, never wants to talk to me ever again. And so it, it is a possibility that this is a female issue and Jonathan Singleton wants to be Jonathan married Ted. Um, but we'll see. I'll see. He, he might have just lost his marbles. 
anyways, that's all I wanted to talk about today. Um, I think it's an absolutely ridiculous argument that he makes. It's a non sequitur, and uh, he, he doesn't even establish that any of these things actually happened or, or that they mean anything close to, to divine determinism. And it fails to fundamentally understand the open theist position that sometimes God has failed expectations of the future. And that, that's the one thing in the Will Duffy debate, and Chris Date just wanted to ignore that point. Chris Date was like, how can God say these things about the future? He says what this person's going to do here, what this person can do here. And Will Duffy said, yeah, they don't always happen. God sometimes says something about the future. It doesn't happen. So it's not like this fatalistic thing that you really, really need it to be for your theology to be true. That's not what's going on here. It's not fatalism. It's something other than fatalism. It could be nudging. It could be God predicting. It could be a God's direct involvement, but it's not fatalism. God says some things that don't materialize. Anyways, uh, questions, comments, put that down below or start a thread on the God's Open Facebook page. Thank you for listening.